Revolution.org podcast coming away Q&A for 69. Steve Schmee and the Rickster Ricky V Rock. What's up? Hey, what's up, Steve? What's up, guys? How's everybody doing out there? Q&A coming your way. We have five great topics. Let's get to it. First one is taking steroids to reduce appetite to cut. Is this possible? So the interesting thing about this question is that if you use steroids and you notice that your appetite's dropping on a specific type of steroid, that is a that can be a red flag that something is wrong with your body. Your cholesterol levels are really out of whack. Your gut's having some strain. Your heart's having some strain. Your kidneys, your your liver, all that stuff. So sometimes. You know, when you're doing a cycle and you notice that your appetite dips, that could be a red flag. So it may not be a good thing. So anabolic steroids, the way they were designed, were not to be taken at abusive levels. So the way they were designed was for people with anemia, for people with muscle wasting, all that good stuff. So they were taking therapeutic dosages that helped boost their appetite, helped boost their muscle mass, helped prevent muscle wasting therapeutic dosages. So when you're running these crazy cycles, these, you know, one, two, three, four, five grams of steroid a week, you notice your appetite dropping. That's your body saying, you know what? I don't feel good. I'm sick. Stop feeding me. So that's one of the interesting things about using steroids is that when you run them at sensible dosages and you run them at moderate dosages and you get a boost of appetite versus running them at abusive levels and having a reduction in appetite. In these pros, that's kind of their shtick is they'll run at abusive levels lose the appetite, they're able to cut down ahead of their competition. So it is kind of ironic, in my view, that this, you know, have this question be asked, but it's kind of, in my mind, doesn't make any sense to use steroids to reduce your appetite to cut. You're basically saying, yeah, I'm going to use steroids, I'm going to make my body sick, I'm not going to have an appetite, and then I'm going to cut that way. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. Because over time, you're just harming your body, you see. So my view of anabolic steroids is use them when you want to grow, when you want to get stronger, when you want to get size, when you want to be aggressive in the gym, when you're healthy. Don't run them when you're sick, when you're injured. That doesn't make any sense, but that's what guys are doing at the high levels. And that's why they're dropping dead so young. You know, I mean, just they just go on painkillers. Oh, I'm injured. I'm going to run a bunch of steroids and just push through my workout and take a bunch of painkillers to numb the pain. That's the mentality. And what you end up doing is you end up damaging your body more. You end up being addicted to painkillers. And then you end up being crippled as as you get older. You see? So. That's my take on this topic. Rick, what's your take on it? Yeah, I wouldn't be using our steroids to reduce appetite. Um, 
the only times that steroids were really, in my opinion, reducing my appetite, uh, they weren't, they were hurting me too. It wasn't, it's not a kind of a good thing. Um, just working out alone will usually raise your appetite. So I can understand uh, wanting to, to cut that back, especially hitting the, the cardio, hitting the weights. Uh, you're going to be hungry. Um, you're going to feel it. Even if you, even if you've uh, cut the hunger out by doing some time restricted feeding and fasting, the workouts will still, will still make you feel it. And if you're cutting down, um, they're definitely good over-the-counter supplements and herbal aids out there. Uh, you got to just see what kind of works uh, for you. Uh, what's going to to really do it for you? Um, I, I sell N2 Burn, which is a good, good, good fat burner, and it also helps with appetite. Some it helps with some of those hunger pains, but uh, there's definitely you could just try straight good quality uh, Garcinia Cambogia. Some guys have tried uh, some tried some stuff out there that weren't too happy with it. Uh, there's some some this decent quality stuff out there that's worked for people. Uh, the thing I uh, with me and Garcinia, when I take it, it does shut down my appetite somewhat. It makes me feel a little bit, my, it makes me, my stomach feel a little bit heavy. It makes it feel like I had something that didn't sit well with me. But at least it takes some of the hunger away when I've tried Garcinia. Um, and you've got to just, uh, there's a couple out there that maybe come to mind, but you got to just try it out, see what supplements there are out there. Plenty of water, plenty of fiber too. I've noticed whenever I'm feeling a little bit, uh, a little bit hungry when I'm trying to cut down, get, get uh get chiseled and uh i get i get a little bit kind of that weird feeling after workout where you want to where you maybe have a, a little bit of food not a lot or or you know you can't have food for a little while or longer a good big big cup of uh fiber psyllium husk dissolved in water uh it does a little something you know i'm not going to tell you it's going to be the same as having a big uh a shake loaded up shake but it'll do something it's better than, than just water alone i'll tell you that at least it, it, it has been for me so uh some good uh, uh scoop of two psyllium husk uh, i do 10 to 15 sometimes as much as 20 grams of of uh you know a quick little quick jug but um there's i guess my point is this to, to, to answer the question there's definitely stuff out there you can take and mess with to help with not getting so hungry and, and cutting appetite down steroids probably would i wouldn't put at the top of the list me personally wouldn't wouldn't be one of the go-to things i would have next one we're going to talk about guys on 500 milligrams a week of trt so rick you're on a little bit of a rant why don't you take this one first and then i'll kind of finish it off yeah 500 mg a week is not really kind of trt uh, most TRT docs are putting guys, what, about 200 MIGs every 10 days or something, Steve? And if they want to, uh, you know, and, and if you can make a good case that your sex hormone binding globulin is high or you have some additional bone pain, you might be able to get a little anivar on top of that. Who knows? But um, that, right, that, that's TRT about what right? most guys are getting. Uh, I mean, that's even that's even kind of high, man. Oh, there you go. So, yeah. so, so 500 mix a week, that's not really TRT. That's what some guys might call sports TRT. You definitely don't want to be on those kind of high doses for years and shit like that, dude. But I mean, I just wouldn't do it. But some guys uh, seem to be doing it and be fine out there. You got to understand. See, okay. So if I, 
had the choice, right? I had to do one of these two. I either had to be on like 500 milligrams of TRT a week uh, for 30 weeks, let's say, or I could just do, I had to do 1500 makes of tests um, for a shorter amount of time for, for, you know, 10 weeks, whatever. And then I could just be completely off the rest of the time. I would obviously pick to just do, if I was going to do that gram and a half a week for, for the cycle and then be off of the shit, be off for like 20 weeks done. Right. But doing 500 makes per week for an extended period of time. And this is me personally. I'm not, um, I'm not trying to be your, your doctor here when I tell you this, but this is the way I look at it. Bringing your TRT, your, your, TR, your, your testosterone levels up that much permanently for years on end. No bueno. Bringing them up even more than that. Uh, for short cycle, short run, uh, then coming off and to guard, you know, TRT, your protocol, clomid, and to generate all that good stuff. I can see that, like, I can see that working in the world. And then you're off, you're done. Now put a synthetics into your body, you're, you're continuing staying in, in the gym, even without the sauce. I could see that. That's, that's a good workable uh, solution. But just being on 500 a week permanently, we're out for years. Like, come on, man. Like, that only you would do that to yourself. A doctor is not going to do that for you. you you'd, you'd have to go out and do that to yourself. It's just not conducive to anything. And, and look, and after a full, after a couple of years of that, it'll just kind of normalize and it'll be what it, what it has to be all the time. I mean, unless you're... Unless you're holding on to you know 100 pounds of muscle and you're winning trophies and you're winning shit at places and and people want to take pictures with you because because how you look and you got that Instagram grind and this is your life and, and that's what you need to baseline with to maintain what you already have is 500 a week of, of test unless it's, it's that serious what the fuck are you doing bro that's a lot it's a lot of juice um to be on. And again, I'm hanging on to that, to the word TRT, 500 megs a week of TRT. TRT to me means permanently. Means if you're 45, 50, 50, and you're taking 500 megs a week of TRT, that means when you're 65, you're going to be on about 100 because you're you're doing it for, for health. You're baselining something that your body is just not making anymore. It's just not making anymore. So you're doing something about it. But 500 a week is a lot, bro. What do you think, Steve? Um, You know... If you get blood work done and you get your total testosterone levels anywhere between, you know, 500 and 800, that's, that's plenty. Nanograms per deciliter. That's plenty. Um, if you're going 900, a thousand or higher, your total testosterone levels, cause you're taking too much TRT, you're overdosing it. And in the short run, you know, nothing might happen, but over the long run, your kidneys are going to get taxed. Your liver is going to get taxed. Your prostate's going to get inflamed. Your gut's going to get inflamed. It's going to have repercussions. And, um, you know, over the years, guys have argued this with me on the forums. They get all butt hurt. So I tell them 200 milligrams a week of testosterone is too much. And it is, you know, and um, uh, their argument is, oh, well, I feel good on 200 milligrams a week. Well, yeah, you feel good because you're getting a lot more androgens then you should be getting. So you feel like basically you're on a cycle itself, but TRT is to replace what your body should normally produce. TRT is not to put yourself on a cycle. So if you want to be on a cycle, just go on a cycle. 
don't don't just do steroids year round at a moderate dose. Your TRT dose should be somewhere between 90 to 125 milligrams a week. That's it. Maybe 140 milligrams a week at the most. So unless you want those other problems, we've seen guys, you know, dropping dead left and right. Okay. Who've been abusing steroids. So don't give me that shit. All right. And um, a lot of these anti-aging clinics, these aren't doctors, they're businessmen, you know? And at the end of the day, they're not regulated as they should be. So what happens is some businessman comes up with the idea, I'm going to rent this space and I'm going to have my own anti-aging clinic. I'm going to pay some doctor who doesn't even, is not even uh, meeting up with you as the patient, but he's signing the prescription. So that the anti-aging clinic can prescribe you steroids they can prescribe you testosterone they can prescribe you acg they can prescribe you an ai they can prescribe you peptides they can prescribe you um b12 they can prescribe you different vitamins and and stuff you know just turn you into a guinea pig and it's money in their pocket it's just money in their pocket and the doctor is not even in the and it's some doctor in tennessee or something who's writing just signing off on it and they're getting away with it and it's getting out of hand. It's becoming like a pill mill situation. And um, unfortunately, you know, I guess that's freedom, you know, Hey, you know, I have the freedom to take a bunch of shit and uh, destroy my body. And the businessman he doesn't give a fuck about your health. So TRT, you know, you need to go to a real doctor. You need to go to a real endocrinologist who's going to sit down with you and figure out the best plan because this is a lifelong decision and there's no turning back. Once you do it, there's no turning back. And I've had clients come to me crying because they've been on TRT for years and now they want to have a kid. And the bad news is once you're on TRT, the chance of you having a kid is drastically lower drastically lower so you better think about it before you go through with it and that's why it's important to sit with a trusted real doctor not some fucking businessman who's just trying to make money so i hope that saves many of you out there a lot of headache just me, me telling you that all right, so the next one we're going to talk about is day after injection, lots of swelling. So I'm going to touch on this a little bit. I'll bring in Rick because Rick has a lot of experience with this sort of thing. And, you know, sometimes it's it's dirty gear. Uh, your source, your brand might not be good. It could be good gear, but maybe you're just allergic to that particular oil or whatever the, whatever is in there. You just Your body just doesn't agree with it. And then it could just be a bad injection. It could be a bad spot. Sometimes your body doesn't like being injected in certain spots. You know, over time, as you gain experience, you'll figure that out. You'll realize, yeah, you know what? My, my left quad doesn't like to be injected, but my right, right quad is cool with it. My left shoulder doesn't like to be injected, but my right shoulder does. You see what I'm saying? So it could be any of those issues. What else you got on this one, Rick? 
So I'm going to give guys a, a guideline on how to know if you actually have an infection because infections are, uh, are always a concern, right? So here's how to know if you got an infection. Number one, um, how does it look? Um, if it's, if it's kind of white in the middle, light, light in the middle, uh, a darkish purplish ring around, maybe a little red dot in the middle, that's surely an infection. If it's warm to the touch, surely an infection. Another way you know you have an infection is because it progressively gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, a a shot that just went a little bit wrong for whatever reason, too close to a nerve, you moved a little bit, the needle, maybe the needle was a little tiny bit dirty and you just got a little bit of a, just a small um, reaction that didn't turn out to be a nasty uh, uh, infection. Maybe, who knows, some, some bullshit could have happened and you'll get a sore. Maybe the mix, the solvents, the gear, um, a lot of different things could be could be uh, uh, factors. Usually, those will you'll take the shot, you'll feel a little bit of pain. Uh, the the pain or the discomfort might peak at 24, maybe 36, 48 hours. It peaks there, and then from then on, it gets better and better and better and better and better. An infection, on the other hand, uh, it's going to progressively get worse day after day. 24 hours worse, 48 hours worse, 72 hours even worse. If, if it's, a, if it's a, a shoulder, if it's a glute, you might not be able to move that extremity. The amount of ridiculous pain you're in. You might be already running a fever. Total signs. Um, I have seen guys and myself have experienced test flu from shooting a little too much sustenon all at once. Um, and that is, you know, fever, bone pain. I mean, it, it just feels like you have the flu for a couple hours. I've had that. But a shot that three days later, four days later, it's still, it, it's heat come, emanating from it. It's heat coming from the area. You don't, it's, it's no good, no bueno. Especially if you see this when you look at it. Darkish purplish ring, light, light center. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes a little red dot right in the middle where, where that needle went in. Uh, that's an infection, and chances are it'll have to get drained out by the doctor. It'll get drained out, stitches. Maybe he'll have to put something in there um, after draining it, stitches, antibiotics, and how bad it is. You gotta, you gotta get to the doctor soon if that's that's what what, what is going on. But, um. I'm going to say something, and unless you're very experienced, if you're very experienced, you've already kind of sort of have done this, I'm sure. If you're not very experienced, just disregard it. But I sometimes find myself when I'm when I'm opening a new vial um, or a new or a new set, new cycle, just as a precaution, my first shot or two out of a a certain vial, if it's not bona fide human grade, I tend to keep very shallow, very close to the surface of the muscle. And you need the experience because you got to know to do it just right. So you shoot 
in the muscle towards a bit closer to the surface, but don't miss it and just shoot in a pocket of fat, like in the muscle towards the surface. So God forbid, if there was, this was the one bottle that maybe um, that source that I dealt with that day, maybe had this one batch where some were contaminated, uh, the, the infection would be very close to the surface very, very easily and easier to get to. Uh, and then after the first uh, CC or two that I, I'm rocking with, then I, I tend to get the injection nice and deep in, into the muscle uh, because um, I feel this is just a better, more comfortable shot at that point when I do it that way. But yeah, the first, uh, I don't think I've ever said it on the podcast. I, I was thinking about it the other day and it's just one of those. And I have a lot of those little pieces of information that may be too much information. Like if you're a newbie and you just heard me say that you might get confused and do something stupid. But if you're, so don't, just disregard it. Never said it. If you're an old school cat and you have a, you don't have a fat ass, like you are actually, you know, thin skin, you know what I'm talking about. But that first while, like, you're like, all right, I've had situations in the past. Let me go a little bit shallow on this one in case this was the one that I needed to get lanced and drained it, I wouldn't be that deep in, you know, I'd see it surface pretty, pretty easy, pretty quickly. You'll see it. So, um, you know, and that's where you're, you're placing that depot. So it's just something to toss out there um, that I've probably never, never said on another podcast here before, but I thought I'd put it out there for you guys are still listening with us. And um, so I got to add Steve, what do you got? Oh, we, guys, by the way, just, just so you know, I want to cut Steve off. Um, we've done injection podcasts. Uh, injection podcast is three, five, eight. It's a really good uh, injection podcast. And uh, we'll make sure to add some links here on, on the description of this podcast to like articles about proper injection techniques and such on, on some of the forums. But yeah, uh, 358, we did, we did a good long episode all about injections. So go back and, and listen to that one if you're hearing it here now. Um, that's a nice long one. And I went more into depth on a lot of... Uh, on a lot of different things there. All right, so next one, uh, this is for Rick again. Do certain juices increase absorption, um, as in absorption of oral steroids, absorption of uh, supplements, that sort of thing? Like so a couple of things. Um, um, the one that we know for sure that's always worked is grapefruit juice. Grapefruit juice, and we obviously know pepper. Pepper in helps absorption, but grapefruit juice helps the steroids. Methylated steroids last longer in the liver. Grapefruit juice, a lot of guys like using it with Dianabol because Dianabol is one of those that has a, a shorter half life than, than the others, but it'll extend uh, the half life of these steroids because it inhibits an enzyme in the liver that breaks them down without without rolling out a bunch of, uh, of chemistry uh, names. Just it's just what it's doing, but it'll do that to other drugs. So other drugs that you might be taking that the body needs to break down uh, via this enzyme, that, that those will also last longer in your body. So if you're a healthy dude, you're just taking a little bit of D-ball uh, to help your progress along and you're not on any other drugs, uh, grapefruit juice, uh, chances are you get, you get a little bit more of your money's worth out of that D-ball with a grapefruit juice because it, it lets it uh, hang out a lot longer in a, it's a good bit longer in the body, but um, that's it. I mean, grapefruit juice and, and obviously uh, pep, pep, pepper from pepper 
it, it helps absorption. It's made its way to a lot of uh, different uh, supplements. Uh, and, you know, it, it helps uh, absorption a bit. What's the spread between helping absorption and dangerous? As in, let's say you're taking like an aspirin or Tylenol or something. You take it with some grapefruit juice. Is there a chance you could harm your liver too much by, by doing it that way? I'd have to really look at the chemistry and see those two that you uh, mentioned were are, are all affected through but by that pathway that uh, would live with a uh, grapefruit juices is inhibiting. But uh, no, you've got to just look at the at the type of drug it is that you're taking, and uh, some drugs um, have them hanging out longer, or they could be more toxic. Debol itself, you know, the same forty milligrams of of D-Bowl that you took without grapefruit juice might be just a bit more uh, stronger in your body and maybe give you a little bit more side effects, liver too, when you add the grapefruit juice, just because it's, it's, it's make, it's take it, giving it more time, more, more passes, more, more time in, in coursing through your veins. And that could be the case for other drugs. And then it's just the incremental, uh, the increase of side effects, um, damage, uh, short-term, long-term, permanent, whatever that could happen. And it's a, a drug per drug basis. Like we, it might be a good podcast to do and Maybe I'll come in with some names, some drugs, some families of drugs that are affected by this process. I don't, I don't have it offhand right now. And I hate to, and I hate to say something wrong, you know, say something is okay when it's not or, or alarm someone when they're fine, when it comes to this topic, but, uh, definitely, um, you know, there's some drugs that you might you might have more side effects if with the grapefruit juice. Uh, there are others that are just going to be completely unaffected by it at all. Next one we're going to talk about, and the last one is going to be mountain biking steroid stack. So, uh, give my thoughts on this one. Uh, trend one of the worst things you can take for endurance in um, mountain biking, because you're going to add size quickly on it, which is not good for mountain biking, but you're also so inflammatory in the body makes it kind of constricts your airways. So you're not able, makes it harder to, to get oxygen in, you know, in, into your body and then move it around throughout the body. Cause it's constricting your, your pathways to breathe. So you'll notice your, like your lung capacity is diminished on Trembolone for that reason. And then I would, I would, I would say any, really any harsh steroid, you know, something like halo or anadrol, something little on the harsh side like that, it's going to have those same properties of inflammatory properties. And also steroids, of course, that add weight, because when you're mountain biking, you're fighting gravity, right? And the lighter you are, the easier it's going to be to kind of to pedal up a mountain. So if you're on the bike and you're 150 pounds versus being on the bike and being 200 pounds, it's going to be very different. You don't see bicyclists out there that are, uh, that do well at it, who, who are overweight, you know, for a reason. So definitely, you know, that makes a big difference as well. So I've noticed that when I've been on more harsh steroids and I've done, you know, bicycling and stuff outdoors and, and um, it can be brutal. I've, I've bicycled in 20, 25 mile an hour wind and going into the wind, it was a struggle for me 
to uh, while I was on steroids, it just felt like a struggle. And, you know, when I've been on other types of stacks, you know, something like equipoise, which, which is one of the better ones for endurance, it's been, it's helped me. So something like equipoise and GW is going to, is going to be beneficial for doing uh for doing uh mountain biking and then maybe a little hgh too i know we all know lance armstrong he got busted for hgh so we know that they that bicyclists at that level are using hgh but more for, for more for recovery more for the recovery aspect you know less than the performance aspect because hgh isn't going to be that great for performance but it's going to be great for recovery so being able to recover from a brutal bicycle ride through through the mountains is not going to be easy. But I'll bring in Rick at this because Rick has a lot of experience bicycling down in uh, South America. I think he's bicycled like Venezuela, Brazil, Colombia, Peru, those countries down there. A lot of mountains. So maybe he can shed some light on this. I don't know. Does Venezuela have mountains? I don't. Is it more rainforest? I think you're thinking of your boy Che Guevara. He's the one that bicycled. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, motorcycled <laughs> from Argentina all the way to. Uh, all the well, way I mean, there. like, wait, wait. Does does Venezuela have mountains? Uh, Venezuela is more flat than Colombia is. Venezuela and then Brazil is more, is more rainforest on the west more, side. More, more rainforest. See, they do have some some mountains there and stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, we, we've got some really nice mountain ranges here in Colombia. And I, I oh, just, dude, I saw a video from Chile. Oh my God, it's beautiful. Oh, Chile's like, all mountains. Andes, yes, all mountains. The waterfalls in Chile are incredible. I would love Chile, to go mountain biking and find like a waterfall and just chill there, man. And and I've and, got a ton of those pictures. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, that's what well, we 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 um we mountain bike through uh through both uh a Jeep and donkey trails. So we just uh there are a lot of farms where uh there are very productive farms. And people back there, uh, you know, they need they need ways to get stuff in and out, bring themselves in and out. So all of these trails are, are fit for either a donkey horse, a motorcycle or a Jeep or a strong Jeep. And uh, that's kind of what we mountain bike through. Uh, and we end up with some beautiful waterfalls, rivers, um, some really nice, nice places. Um, best stack for uh, mountain biking. GW is great. Um, S4. Um, I think we're going to find that out of uh, all the PDs out there, S4 might be pretty nice on the, on the, on the prostate. Cause you're going to, you're going to have a, a bit of a tender prostate off a mountain bike. And if you're on the sauce, if you're on too much, um, I know I have, and um, I haven't really caught up with a ton of other mountain bikers that are on the sauce. Um, I'm going to try to and come back and let you guys, what I, what I find, what I hear from other guys, but I know me personally, I can feel that shit more, more than, than not. And I'm concerned because prostate is always a concern when you are taking steroids. It's a fucking concern when you're not on anything. So it's definitely a concern when you're taking the sauce. And I just feel it just a bit more tender uh, than usual when I'm, when I'm mountain biking. So uh, I mountain bike by seasons. Um, there's a, a rainy season and a dry season. And I really try to get out on the trails during the dry season. I don't like... I don't like wet season mountain biking too much because, um, you know, if I get up, if I get up in the morning and it's, and it's, and it, I've made plans to mountain bike and it's fucking raining that day. Um, 
I'm not going to get out on the trails. I'm, I don't, I mean, I'm going to get on my stationary bike at home and I'm not going to go out there and risk getting sick or risk falling off that bitch. Like we're literally on some donkey trails sometimes. And, um, you know, it could get dangerous out there. It's no reason for me to do all of that. You know, I've got, I got children, I got chitlins. So, um, during rainy season, I end up making a lot of plans to get scrapped. I end up getting out there and uh, once or twice we've gotten stranded by, by rain and, and, and mudslides. So I just, during the, the dry, the wet season, I just don't mountain bike at all. Um, I hate making plans, clearing things in my day to go out and then it rains in the morning suddenly. Um, and you just, you know, when you, you, you fuck your schedule up. So I stay out of mountain biking during the wet season. During those times, I use some of the harder uh, juice, some of the harder sauce. Uh, during the dry season, there's a good three, uh, four uh, month span that I, that if I'm around, I mountain bike the fuck out of, out of, uh, out of the Llanos out here in Colombia. And I do that during dry season. During that time, a little bit of Anavar here and there, S4, GW, um, a little bit of testosterone, human grade test, a little bit of EQ. Uh, don't don't really incorporate trambolone. Don't really go to don't really do orals. Don't really go to high in dosages, because I know I'm going to be paddling. I'm going to be on my bike, and it's just not the time to be um, to be doing any other heavy dosages. Or I'm gonna want to walk around feeling weird in my taint all day long, and it's just it's not what you want to fucking have to think about. So, and you know what, I enjoy. In my personal, I enjoy mountain biking, having the endurance, actually being able to get on a bike, get all the way up that fucking hill and come back down. That's real, real deal stuff that, that can work for you and I can use. And I'd rather that and have to get off some of the saws a good chunk of the year um, than just being bigger, you know, um, being being bigger and holding on to more mass. And I respect guys that are like that. They're, you know, they um, they want to be mass monsters. I want my, I like to see and feel the beauty and performance that my body can is capable of and being able to just, you know, use this, sit on this bicycle, which is basically a prosthetic to multiply your, your strength and ability. Uh, and you, you strap this bike on and then you power it with your, with your own calories, your own muscles and go so far in a day that you couldn't even, you wouldn't even fathom of going that far by foot go down some hills so fast that you wouldn't even think about walking down a hill this fast. You get to do those awesome things. And yeah, getting off the fucking sauce and saving your prostate is a trade-off and losing a little bit of mass during, during dry season when I pedal a lot is a little bit of a sacrifice. But at the end of the day, um, when I'm old and I, just, I may be just too old to be taking steroids and mountain bike anymore, I'm going to remember all the trails I went down. I probably won't remember if I just held on to those extra 10, 15 pounds all year round, just held on to them. I didn't get off the steroids. You know, like, fuck that. I want to go places and do things and, and, and have my body do things. So uh, that's important. What do you think, Steve? Have you ever mountain biked to uh, Mochu Pichu? Nah, bro I, don't, bro, I don't need to get with that wicked with it, man. Like, I, I, I go out on a trail probably two, maybe three times a week during during the dry season. It's always a, a three to four hour ride. I've done five, six hour rides. Um, and uh, the way I handle it, um, I just I put my bike on, on a back of a vehicle. I drive up to, to, to the to where the donkey trail meets meets the the road. 
I'll park at some restaurant there, whatever's nearby there, a trucker's restaurant. Um, gives you know, give the the guard there five bucks to wash my car, and then I just go up the trail on the bike. I meet up with people there. Some people ride, you know, through the through the highway on their bikes and meet me there. Some other people go in cars. We just meet. Then we just get 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 the fuck up there. Um, then ride downhill. Usually three, four, five hours. Some some of these rides, and it's just like. Let's say that there's some farms that are very fertile, very producing farms, but they're, you know, four or five hills back from the main road. And and because of the way the country's built, there aren't main roads that go there. Just these small donkey trails, these, these small uh, uh, Jeep uh, trails, and you just ride your bike over there, you know, um, and you just, just go and then you come back. It's just sometimes you could go up river and see where, where the river's kind of coming in from the mountain and the water's really cold when you get up there. It's, good. it's cool shit. But there's enough to go around here in Colombia that I don't really have to go that far, bro. And the logistics of taking a fucking bike to Peru, I'd have to get there and rent a the bike there and ride around. And then I don't know the bike or trust it that well to know the brakes and everything I will maintain to really rock the shit out of it. Did you if find logist- any did you find any orchids? What do you mean? I, I've never been looking for them. I'm sure. Of course. Now, you know, when we're in the forest, we find a lot of fruit trees. So, like, part of what we do uh, is when I go with my group, um, my, my bike group, we just, like, we always stop at fruit trees and, and fill up our, our shit and, um, nice. and eat them, or sometimes eat them there. But, like, we, like, bro, you'll ride, like, five kilometers in, like, from the main road, five kilometers in through a donkey road over, over hills down. Like, you go over uh, up and down a few hills on the way. And then you're like deep in near some waterfall and there'll be like the most gorgeous fucking mango tree up there that only the locals know. And like, and like the locals know not to pick mangoes off the tree while it's still green. So the tree flourishes really nicely because when you pick them too young, the tree apparently goes into some shock or probably has a reaction and then it doesn't fruit the mangoes as good. And then when you get up, these fucking things are like yellow, just hanging off the tree and you just grab them. Same thing with, with like oranges. And, and then you eat it there and you, and you, you stick um, the, the seeds in the ground anyway. Like, I honestly think that before writing, before tablets, when men used to, used to stop at a tree and eat the fruit, that they would strategically continue to plant the seeds around the area. To, to well, that's how that reminds me of something. You know, you know the one fruit that shouldn't exist today? Which one? Avocado. That's interesting. Why is that? Because avocado seeds are too large. So no, no mammal or mm-hmm. animal today would carry yeah. an avocado seed after eating it long distances yeah. and drop it. Because if you plant a seed right next to the tree, it's not going to produce because the tree is competing against it. So right. it, 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 and it's not, it's not um, sunny enough. So avocado shouldn't exist. So that's one of the amazing things about mother nature that avocados have yeah. managed to survive humans, years humans had to grab that one and, and and keep it and make it happen i mean it's a it's a plant basically a fruit that is loaded with fats with good lipids um every other fruit out there is loaded with fructose and and not that that's not a good source of energy it's just that there's so many fruits that have fructose so many potatoes and and roots that have starches and here you have this fruit that's basically fat 
you know so definitely humans had to um as soon as they saw this beautiful thing obviously they have to uh they have to have grabbed it where did where did avocados originate from are they mexican or are they south american do we know no 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 they're not they're not i believe they're asia brother uh mangoes and all that tropical those those things came from asia um uh, i mean i i'm looking it up right now um me too yeah so Okay, from Mexico, yes. mm -hmm. from Mexico to south of the Andean region, I could probably see how uh, a huge uh, actually says, yeah, you're right. South central Mexico is where they originated. You're right. Yeah, it also says the Andean region, which is down here. Like I could see, um, I could probably see some ground sloths and some yeah. big ass. Animals. But the other stuff we're talking about, oranges and stuff, obviously came from Spain. There was no oranges in the Americas, and then like mangoes and stuff, and bananas and all that shit. It came from Asia. So during World War II, there was a banana shortage across the uh, in the United States. They couldn't make uh, Twinkies because at the time Twinkies were stuffed with the banana cream. Yeah. So they had to change the formula. So these are, but you know, like that story you're telling me. Hey, mangoes is another. Mangoes is another one that that relied on humans to transport it across the world. Yeah, it's big. It's big. Yeah, it's a big one. It's interesting. I'm actually yep. searching some of this. Uh, bananas originate from the Malay archipelago, Southeast Asia. You know, bananas had big ass, big, big black seeds, but we've bred them to be clones. They don't, they don't reproduce via seeds anymore. Well, we bred bananas. them too to, to survive, just like. But they're all clones, mean, meaning, yeah. meaning, uh, original bananas, the, the seeds, black seeds from inside of the banana, you can plant them and get another banana tree, but these were big-ass seeds. Bananas now, the seeds are, are nothing. They're, they're tiny little seeds that, that you can't grow a fruit out of, but if you take the tip of the banana bushel, you know how the banana makes a big, nice, beautiful-looking little bushel. They're only one thing. If you take the tip of it, it's it's a, it's a weird-shaped, uh, odd-shaped piece of the plant, and you plant that, another banana, a clone, original DNA duplicate clone, of the original tree will grow. No need for uh, no need for uh, uh, no need for seeds. Uh, we're cloning it. So banana tree, uh, the way it is right now, it's another one that we actually know. And, and did you know that the original synthetic or fake banana flavor that we know, it's from the original banana that went extinct. There was a banana we used to have, and uh, uh, some kind of bug got it, and we couldn't get rid of the bug. So all that whole banana became extinct, and a different banana that was actually resistant to that bug. We started planting that. And now that's the bananas we have now. But for a while, the banana flavoring that you get now when you buy some kind of banana flavoring, it's based on that old style banana that's no longer available because that, that plate killed it. Because remember, they, these are these bananas are clones. So they don't adapt. They can't adapt to a plague or something that comes in through like adaptation of the, the way other plants and, and beings that are that have sexual uh, uh because even plants have sex at the flower level right with pollen and and i mean you know that plants can share dna across each other through pollen and stuff there is an evolution of that but when 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 the banana is cloning this is clone 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 it can't adapt to it to something so we got in a lab develop the next clone that is going to be resistant to this to this thing but that that's pretty interesting on the bananas huh Number one selling fruit in grocery stores in the United States is bananas. So oh, that's an ironic thing. But at the same time, bananas have the lowest water content of all fruits, which you can make the argument means it's 
it's technically the less, the least, you know. Buddy, if you take, fruit, if you, you know? if you take, take everybody out there listening, you take a nice banana that that's really good, is ready to go. You know, it's maybe got a couple of a uh, couple of dark fle- freckles on it. It's so, so 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 ready to go today. You put that in a bowl, just a banana, just inside a banana in a bowl. Then you throw a scoop of protein on it, and then you take a fork and you smash that banana into the protein and keep whipping it, keep whipping it. It'll turn into a pudding. That protein powder will drain all of that water out of that banana and you'll get something that's the consistency of a loose pudding that you could actually slurp up and drink out of there. Just a fork, a banana, and a scoop of protein. Or you could do a scoop of powdered milk and you just you just keep whipping it. Keep smashing the banana, whip it. It'll, it'll get to the point where you could actually whip it. You've whipped eggs before. You've beat eggs in a, in a bowl before. Whipped, I've, I've, you've beat a cookie dough in a bowl before. It'll turn that consistency, like you're whipping eggs, like you're whipping a cookie dough. Just just a banana and just a powder whey protein isolate or powder um, uh, milk, nothing else added, and it'll get to that consistency if you, if you mess with it long enough with a fork. It's a nice little thing I like to do for my kids sometimes. I, I, uh, I whip up one of those things for them. It's just a banana, a little bit of powdered milk, a little bit of uh, a protein powder, uh, and they love it. It's delicious. Yeah, it's a, it's a healthier option for sure. But we're going to actually do a compound episode on um, – I, I really want to do a compound episode in the future on fruit. We'll do an episode on fruit. We'll do an veg- uh, episode on vegetables. We'll do an episode on carbs. We'll do an episode on proteins and we're really kind of dig into nutrition more. And then we've gotten a lot of requests on weight training. So I really want to do some, uh, some episodes as well on different weight training splits and, uh, and that sort of thing as well. So we have a lot of knowledge that we're going to spread. Rick, Rick is very knowledgeable about fruits, you know, especially um, because of his background. And um, they love fruits uh, in uh, Latin America. The, the Spain, the Spanish, when they conquered um, the Americas and in um, Florida and Texas, and they brought along a lot of the fruits. And uh, so people don't realize that in Florida, um, citrus isn't native to Florida. People, but people think that <laughs> you know, citrus is not native. If you see a citrus tree. In the middle of the Everglades, if you're in the Everglades and you're hiking or something, you see a citrus tree. It was planted there by someone. It wasn't naturally there. You see what I'm saying? So it's not something that, and they also brought over oak trees as well. There's a lot of oak trees too in Florida. Those aren't native. Whenever a hurricane hits, oak trees get knocked over because they're not supposed to be in Florida. But uh, a lot of home builders, they put oak trees in people's yards because the oak trees provide a lot of shade and they're very easy uh, trees to grow and they grow quickly and they grow big. So they shade, you know, they shade your house, they save your energy costs, but they're not native to Florida. So, you know, that's what people don't, it's, it, a lot of people don't understand that. So um, that's, that's how it goes. The, the two main native trees in Florida, palm trees, obviously, and the Florida pine trees. And the pine trees are very flammable. So that kind of helps the forest, you know, these little fires that you get from lightning, that kind of helps the forest re- regenerate. And then the pine pop, the palm trees, obviously, the way they're, the palm fronds are designed, it's designed for high winds. And then since the palm trees' roots are really deep, Unlike oak trees, which the roots are very shallow, but palm trees, the uh, roots are deep 
and it's got a long trunk that's very flexible. So when a hurricane hits, the palm tree swaying all the way to one side and then swaying back and forth and it doesn't break. But an oak tree, it's going to basically break into a zillion pieces or tip over entirely because the root structure is so uh, shallow because of the uh, soil being very saturated, you see. So that's another thing. But the interesting thing about citrus in Florida is Florida is a lot of parts of Florida, like South Florida, don't get cold enough to where the citrus trees will, will perform well because you need really, really cold weather for citrus trees to sweeten. So you're not going to be able to grow successfully citrus trees in South Florida, most citrus trees. And then the other thing is... South Florida, because it doesn't get cold, you know, um, especially over the past, you know, 10, 20 years, it doesn't get even under 40 degrees anymore. It's very good to grow these tropical fruits like the mangoes and the papayas and, 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 and avocados and all these tropical fruits because it doesn't get cold. And those fruit trees will not survive on anything over 32 degrees. So yeah, I mean, we should do a, definitely a podcast talking about fruits and kind of educating people. Those of you listening who visited Florida or maybe you live in Florida, you probably don't even know that. And that's, uh, it's a good, it's a good way to make money off someone, you know, telling them that, uh, that citrus isn't native to Florida, native to Spain. So, all right, guys. So this was episode 469. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And we will talk to you guys next week. Take care. Have a good one, Steve. Have a good one, guys. Guys, this is the required legal disclaimer. We are only sharing our experience from years of steroid use. We are not doctors. And none of what we say should be regarded as medical advice. Always check with your doctor before taking any drugs or starting any training program.